Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Diane, I have privilege this morning of sharing the word of God. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to come up. We'll see how the spirit leads. Um, we've titled this message, A People on the Move. And I'm just going to kick, off, kick us off by asking a question. How are you today? That's, it's not a trick question. And um, how many times have you asked that question? Or how many times have you been asked this question? I get to ask this question countless number of times every day because the strap line for the company I work for is, how are you doing today? So you can imagine the response on a pharmacy counter in a supermarket when people come in. How are you today? And to be honest, 75% of people just blank you out. They just go on because they pretend as if they didn't hear the question. 20% will actually say, fine, thank you. And then the other 5% will actually tell you how they are, and then you wish you hadn't asked because the queue, <laughs> the queue begins to build up behind them, and you think, come on. <laughs> Anyway, what is your response to that question, how are you today? Probably you say, fine, thank you. But I've been thinking about that phrase, because we're Christians, God. We have a spirit, we live in a body, and we have a soul. So when you say, how are you today, do you mean, fine, thank you, my body is well today, or fine, thank you, my spirit is doing well in the Lord, or fine, thank you, it is well with my soul. What do you actually mean? So next time you get asked that question, why don't you say to somebody, what do you mean exactly? Do you mean <laughs> my soul, my spirit, or my body? But make sure they're Christians, though, otherwise they think there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, John writes to a brother called Gaius, and he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And in this simple greeting, John links Gaius' well-being with the well-being of his soul. And rightly so, because the well-being of our souls and who or what or where we find satisfaction in has a huge impact on the journey of life that we're on. We're people on the move. And the Christian life is one of movement and overflow. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us this morning in worship about breathing in and breathing out. It's overflow. We are pressing towards the goal of the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are being transformed from one level of glory to another. We're not a people who settle. In fact, we should be on our guard against settling because until we see Jesus face to face, we have to keep moving. And this movement is a natural consequence of our abiding in the vine and it results in an overflow. And the word of God speaks of this overflow in different ways. I'm going to read a few scriptures Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Luke, 20, Luke 4, 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes gathered from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And John 7, 37 talks about rivers of living water flowing out of our hearts. 
for those of us who believe and are filled with the Spirit. So there should be an overflow. There should be a, a spillover of the good health of our souls in God into every other area of our life. Our desire to love God, to please Him, to serve Him, it comes from this overflow of abiding in His presence. And it is from this overflow that we find deep satisfaction. And it is with the delight and joy that we find in God that we're equipped and inclined to serve others and to serve the church of Jesus Christ. Would it not be wonderful if our souls were always happy, always satisfied in God? That would be the dream, wouldn't it? But we all know that that is not the reality. Our souls easily forget God's goodness and they get easily distracted. And so the responsibility is on each one of us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds with truth from God's word. That's why I love the book of Psalms. You see the psalmists take charge of their souls, direct their souls. Say, bless the Lord, O my soul, Psalm 103. And say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, Psalm 42 and 43. And then he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips, Psalm 63. So taking charge of our souls and directing our souls is actually a necessary discipline for us as children of God in our movement. And we need to learn and we need to grow in practicing preaching to ourselves. James is not the one that preaches to you the most, nor any other person that stands here. You preach yourself the most. So you need to learn to preach to yourself and align our souls with truth. And the Bible also commands us to speak to one another in love. And so it's critical as we are moving forward that we are growing deeper in our relationships and that we go beyond the normal pleasantries so that we are able to speak truth to one another in love. It should be the norm in your community church to ask one another, how is your soul doing today? Not yesterday, not in the future, but today, how is your soul doing? And it's important that we encourage one another to guard our souls so that they remain happy and satisfied in God. We need to keep them in good health. Why? Because healthy things grow. So a healthy soul will grow. And we all know that lack of growth in any living thing signifies that there is a problem because naturally living things grow. And so growth signifies movement, progress, and transformation. And as individuals who are alive in Christ, we also grow in him. And there are countless areas that the Bible tells us to grow in, to grow in grace and knowledge, to grow in faith and obedience, to grow in character and attitudes, in love and in gifts, and even in our relationships with others. We begin as, as infants in Christ, and then we progress. We don't say as infants, we progress. We become young men. Sorry, before you, we become little children. And then we become young men, and then we become fathers and mothers in the faith. And we become mature in Christ. We live childish behaviors, childish, childish attitudes, and we step into maturity. We grow as individuals, but we do not exist in isolation because we are part of the body of Christ, which is a living body, and it also grows. And the fact is, our corporate growth is linked to our growth as individuals. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it's as each one of us, each part of the body, works properly that the body is built up in love. 
And over the past three weeks, we have been looking at the Grace and Race series, and our challenge was to move together as a body. And I really believe God that we did that. But the growth did not stop last week. God is still at work within us because it is God himself who is working in us both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. Jesus is the one building his church. Hebrews 3, 4 says, Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. He's the one growing his church. Nothing happens randomly. Jesus is establishing his purposes by spirit and through the leading of his shepherds that is placed over us. And he grows his church in width. He adds souls to us. And he grows his church in depth. He makes us mature. And his purpose is that we all attain to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Because we are his beautiful bride, and he's coming back for us, and he's through us, the church, but he's going to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. And so let's talk about growth for a minute. It's a natural process. I hope you all know that. Many of us don't understand the biology of how it happens. Well, I don't. Maybe you do. Um, but we know it does. We know when it happens and when it doesn't in the physical. So it goes the same in the spiritual world as well. We should know when we are growing and when we are not. Jesus spoke about uh, many parables about seeds and growth. And we're going to read one parable in Mark chapter 4. At the beginning of the term, um, Daya and I were just having a conversation. We realized that God spoke to both of us from this passage. And he reads, Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth it produces by itself first the blade, then the air, then the full grain in the air. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And this parable highlights two basic principles of our growth. First, principle of sowing and reaping. And then, secondly, the reliance on God, who only can bring growth, and he's always faithful. So let me tell you a few facts about seeds and growth. I'm not any chance a gardener. In fact, I struggle to keep houseplants alive. <laughs> but I know a few things. That a good gardener will prepare the soil and enrich it so I can produce good ground for the seeds to grow in. And then the gardener scatters the seeds. These seeds by themselves, they have a natural ability to grow because God has placed that in them. But if left by themselves, nothing would happen. Man has a part to play in promoting growth of the seeds. And the farmer who wants a bountiful harvest understands what he has to do. He steals, waters, removes stones, and does all that needs doing. But there comes a point beyond which he can do nothing else. No human effort, wisdom, strength can bring the living plant from the seed. There is a dependence on the one who has the power to give life. The one who gives rain and sunshine. The one who gives growth. And this good seed for a time might remain under the ground with nothing seen. Well, there comes a time, eventually, something will spring forth from the ground and the fruits will come. And these principles are the same naturally and they're universal, both for our individual growth as well as our corporate growth. Sorry. So we need to be like the hardworking farmer who knows what he needs to do 
and he does them with absolute dependence on the one who gives growth. And so my second question for us this morning is, how is that church doing today? If somebody asks a question, how is your church doing? How do you answer that? You wouldn't say, fine, thank you. I hope not. But how do we answer this question? We want to go to the book of Thessalonians to help us answer this question. So we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. And if James, we don't usually write letters these days, but if James had to write a letter to New Community Church, what, did, what would he be thanking God for? Because Paul usually begins his letters to the church with gratitude and thanksgiving to God. So let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches, in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 and 3, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God, our Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, Paul is full of gratitude to God about the good report he had, he had heard about the Thessalonians church. This church, they were corporately growing, and these things that were growing in were tangible. The work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. And so in thinking about how our church is doing, what are the things that are evident and that we display in New Community Church? So let's look at these three things. Firstly, the work of faith. And yes, we are people of grace, but we, we are allowed to talk about works. Because we are also a people of faith. We are not of the world. We don't believe it when we see it. We have to see it first when we believe it. And so we are a people whose work should speak and demonstrate our faith. So the Bible talks a lot about work. We probably don't talk enough about works as much as we should. But first, let's be clear what this work of faith is not. Paul's understanding of work here, it's not about works to earn salvation or to earn God's approval. And it's not about earning points with God. Neither is it about performing a certain task or doing certain good deeds to help others. But the work of faith we're talking here about here, it's actions that are a consequence of our faith. And this phrase can probably be referred better to as the work of the faith. In other words, because our faith is living and active, because our faith is growing and maturing, it has to produce something, which is a work or works. Actually, in, in Greek, I don't know much about Greek, but apparently in Greek, that word work denotes actions, acts, and activities. And our actions will involve our deeds, our conduct, our conversations, our relationship with others, and so many other things. And so therefore, the work of faith refers to all of our daily acts and activities as believers and is a product of our faith. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we see an example of that work of faith. Let's read verses 5 to 9. It says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So in that last verse, we see the church turned away from idols to serve the living God. They repented. So repentance here was an example of the work of their faith. And the Bible does not leave us ignorant when it comes to the active working out of our faith. There's so many admonitions in the Bible about walking worthy of the calling to which you have been called, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking off the old self, putting on the new self, maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. Those are the things that are the product of our faith. There's a consequence of what we have believed. And these things should be increasingly more evident in our midst. And so this is, but we're not talking about striving and working harder, but this is about the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the goodness of the gospel is not just that we are saved by Christ, but that we are being renewed into his image. And Colossians 2, 6 tells us, Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And can I ask you this morning, how did you receive Christ? No matter how long ago it was, how did you receive Christ? By grace, through faith in the gospel. And the Bible tells us to walk exactly in the same way, by grace, through faith in the gospel. And Titus tells us what the grace of God is all about. I love the scripture. Titus 2, 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's who we are. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. It purifies us and makes us zealous for good works. And so Paul, even Paul himself testified about the grace of God working in his life. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so the grace of God helps us to work. Not to earn God's salvation. Not to, not to earn pleasing God. But to work. To be committed to good works. And so can I encourage us this morning in New Community Church? To be a church that is laying hold of the gospel of grace by faith. Secondly, the labor of love. And labor, uh, that word labor involves great effort. And this is, we're talking about the love that is becoming active for the good of others. This is something that we do because we want to, not because we are being paid to do it. And usually involves hard work. And the church in Thessalonians, they welcomed Paul with open arms and they showed great hospitality. And by the way, this church was very diverse. There was Jews, Gentiles, Greeks. Yet the love of Everyone for each other was increasing. And so in New Community Church, we are known to be a friendly and welcoming church. But I hope it's not just on Sundays. We want to be a church that is growing in our labor of love, in our loving deeds towards God and one another. And so whichever way you serve in the body of Christ, 
All those things that we do in the background that nobody else sees for one another, behind the scenes. Going out of our way to care, to provide and to support one another. Welcoming each other into each other's homes. Being hospitable. All these things, they are labor of love. And they're not always convenient. They take great effort. And most times overlooked by men. But guess what? It's never overlooked by God. Because Hebrews 6.10 tells us that God is not unjust, so as overlook your work and the labor that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. But the thing is, labor of love cannot be demonstrated in isolation. It is only in community that we can become aware of each other's needs. And it's only in community that we can encourage one another to keep going. Hebrews 10.24.25 tells us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we can't live this life in isolation. We need to put ourselves out there. So another encouragement to you, just like Frank said, if you're not in community, can I challenge you this morning to be part of one? And if there's not one that you like, then start one. And I realize there'll be some here that have served the saints over the years in many different ways, but for one reason or the other, you might be here, you're, you're discouraged, or you're weary, or you're disillusioned. There is a word from the Father for you this morning. And it says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. For you have need of it... So, you have need of endurance. Hebrews 10, verse 36 to 39. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And so this morning, New Community Church, sick up venue, how are we doing with our work of faith and our labor of love? And now we're going to talk about the steadfastness of our hope. Um, thank you, Yemi. We start, Yemi started that part about um, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 2 3, um, about the church in Thessalonica, talking about the letter Paul wrote to them, talking about the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, Bible hope is not just a wishy-washy hope. It is based on, on the authenticity of the word of God. Because um, the word of God does not fail. And because it is authentic, we can have confidence to run with that word, even when it hurts. Um, in Hebrews chapter 6, um, I want to read 17 and 18, but before the, in the earlier verse, in verse 13, it talks about Abraham. It says, God made a promise to Abraham, and because he could not swear by somebody greater than himself, he swore by himself. He made an oath to Abraham. He says, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplication, I will multiply you. And he says, after waiting 
for the promise of God, you obtain the promise. And the kind of hope that we're talking about is in verse 13. God, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise that we've become, the unchangeable character of his purpose, um, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement and to, to, um, to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Church, people on the move, there's a hope set before us. And um, I want us to consider um, this other difficult part of the letter that um, Paul wrote to the church. Um, what happened is um, when Timothy came back, he told, he reported about the work of faith and their labor of love. He spoke about their steadfastness. However, some of the folks that um, were there when Paul was there, some of them have passed away. They've died. And um, there were the concern that um, uh, Timothy brought back. And um, because they're now saying, well, you said Christ is going to come back, but he hasn't come back. What's going to happen to them? And that's why penned in here, I know we read this thing in funeral service, but we're not having a funeral service today because um, he says, for the Lord um, himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 8, and the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, uh, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, the thing is, an earlier verse, it says that um, when we lose a loved one, we should not grieve as some others who have no hope. This is the hope that Paul was writing to them about or has spoken to them about. This letter is not um, comforting as it is. It is not to make them redundant for their loss, but become resourceful. It is to galvanize them into what God has called them to do. Um, uh, somebody asked me recently, when am I going to die? Um, I, 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 I honestly didn't know when I'm going to die. But I talk about my death, even my wife doesn't like me saying about me dying, because I make different plans. I said, one of the things I tell to my wife is, I don't want to be buried. I want to be burned, cremated. I don't want to wait too much space. But what I'm trying to say <laughs> is, church, my confidence is this. Whether I'm dead or whether I'm alive when he's coming, one way or the other, I'm not losing because the dead... I just get to rise up first than foremost you if you're still living. 
That's the kind of thought pattern that we need to have as the church on the move. I know we've lost some loved ones over 40 years. Some people I don't even know. Some of the things that we're doing now, we're building on the, sold, uh, on, the, on the shoulders of some people who have sacrificed so many things. But we don't want to discount that. We want to recognize that. But because we have lost them, doesn't want, we shouldn't be redundant. We need to push on to celebrate their legacy. So what I'm saying is, when it comes, our moving on as a church is that we're not frightened of death. So when death comes, whether, I'm, like I said, it's comforting to me that whether I'm dead or alive, whichever one I'm doing at the time it comes, I get to be part of the glory of God. And so do you. That's the comfort of that letter. Um, Thessalonians, and it goes on to, um, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 and 11, um, I just want to pick up that because we're running out of time now. It says, but um, we do not um, belong, to, we belong to the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith. And Yemi has, you know, wonderfully taken us through that. I just want to remind us that some of the things we do uh, uh, don't really make sense in, in the church. Um, for instance, we we will ask you to give your money. But the plan is, if you need money, you save it. But church, you give money to get more. But some of the things Jesus did, they never really made sense either. He came to a blind man from birth. He spat on the floor, made some mud, put it on his eyes, John 9. His eyes open. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. That doesn't make sense. There's the woman in Mark chapter 5. He was been bleeding for 12 years. Um, he saw Jesus in the crowd. He, he, she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. The bleeding stopped. Jesus didn't commend the woman, oh, you got a good sense. No. He says, your faith has healed you. It doesn't have to make a lot of sense what we do. But he has to make faith. If he make for, for the just shall walk by faith, not by sight. So these things we do, this labor of love we do, all of these things, the service in God's kingdom, sometimes it doesn't make sense. But it makes faith. One, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And therefore all have died. And he, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know, everything we do, we do for the sake of this. We go to bed to wake up for the sake of this. This is why we, if you, if you're somebody who has a job, you do a nine to five, whatever you do, sit at home, mom, looking after kids. We do all of those things for this. We live for this. I, I, we, we go to bed tonight to wake up for this. Thank God for that word that came in worship. We, in, tomorrow, what happened? We, we are receiving things. We do this thing for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
whether we are living or whether we are dead, the purpose is for this, for the sake of the kingdom. I'm going to bring this home now. Um, you know, it's a steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Yemi has mentioned that it's funny enough when we're writing this together. You know, we were writing this thing separately. Then I, then I was said to Yemi, this is my note. I said, you copied my note. He said, no, I didn't copy. You copied mine. But some of our scriptures, the Holy Spirit just brought it together. Try, it's interesting. Husband and wife, tag team team. James, we should be doing more of this. It's good. It makes the marriage work better. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. I want to explain endurance. And this is where I want us to land. Or myself and Yemi agree with land today. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's talking in verse 23, 24. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What hope are you living with today? The one who promised you is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of somebody encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing there. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. That word steadfastness that was used is the same word endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And endurance is described the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Not with a passive complacency, but with hopeful fortitude. That actively resist weariness and defeat. I know some of us, we've been around for years, and I'm looking at you. You've endured. You've, um, you've come, you serve. People, you serve tea, you open door, you sweep the floor but you force tears away from your eyes. You still come back the following week. That's endurance. You come this place, encourage everybody, smile at them, and you go back home depressed. That's endurance. Over the years, you keep, we've never mentioned your name, put up a placard for you, but you still kept coming. We never celebrated you or mentioned your name, but, but you're still around every day, still opening the door and moving on. That's endurance. I want to thank you for all the things you've done. Now we have overlooked you and you're still coming. I feel today, can I come down? I feel today that um. There's some of us that we just need to start all over again. And we've, it's like we've been caught up in a web and we can't just move anymore further. There's some of us that um, God has just literally just set you free. That it's okay. It's, you know, it's okay to grieve. 
That's fine. That's, that's a place for grieving. But for those that have gone ahead of us, the cloud of witnesses, they leave legacy for us that we must push on, independent of the pain that we carry. And we want to encourage people tonight to just start this afternoon, tonight, this afternoon, this morning. Yes, this morning. I thought I was in Welling. I was looking at Joe and I'm, and I'm thinking I'm at Welling. This, this morning. I've not been drinking. This is just past 10. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Glory. <laughs> you might be in this room this morning and, and, and all of these things are just strange to you. God wants your heart. Maybe today is the first day you want to say, yeah, I just want to break the silence. I want all of Jesus. I want this. I want to move on. Or you've been around, but you've just taken the back seat where the people on the move. I mean, we've just, I, I believe in this house when, when at a, a pivotal moment as a people of God, and, and, and that we need to move all of us in full force. 